Hi, I'm Jill. And I'm John. And you're joining Youth Office Yarns. A podcast to help bring hope and purpose during this uncertain time. We believe in the simple truth that God loves you. Jesus gave his life to save you, and he lives by your side. Each week we talk to people from around the Diocese of Hamilton and see how encountering this truth has changed their lives. Awesome. I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, We are welcoming Father JP, who is at the university. He's an Opus Dei priest. Um, Yeah, I'm super excited. Welcome, Father. Hello, how are you? Good morning. I hope you're doing doing well in this quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Uh, I was telling John earlier that quarantine's starting to get to me. I'm going a little cabin feverish. Yeah. yeah. So, how are you yeah. finding quarantine, Father? Well, quarantine is um, different from what I expected because uh, I thought it was going to be very boring and that uh, we would be doing very little. But the fact is that we have probably more work. I'm doing things that I <laughs> usually don't do. I'm doing house chores, and I keep most of the things that I usually do. <laughs> Uh, I still can do online, so I'm still preaching online, catching up with people online. Uh, so yeah, quite busy, busier than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That's kind of been quarantine for me. I've been way busier than what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was anticipating a heap of free time. I wanted to learn the guitar and all that, but we've been we've been keeping busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There's never a a lack of work. When you're working yeah. for the church. Mm. That's right. That's, That's right. That's for sure. So how okay. are you finding um, quarantine as a priest, Father? Well, as a priest, um, as I said, we continue doing um, more or less the same things. Look, the, the fact is, as, as a priest, did you say as a priest, if, for me being a priest is probably a bit different from what it is for other priests. I imagine that my brothers in the priesthood, um, since, well, they do a lot of parish life, which I, I actually have never had, you know. Um, many of the priests celebrate uh, many funerals, uh, they visit uh, hospitals, uh, and the sick and the elderly, and uh, unfortunately, that is not what I do. Um, for me as a priest, my main occupation is uh, giving spiritual direction, uh, hearing confessions, heaps of confessions, <laughs> and um, well, of course, saying the mass as well. But and then, then besides that, um, preaching. Uh, actually, preaching is not just um, starting. Uh, you start talking. No, you need to read. You need to prepare your your uh, your preaching so that also takes a lot of time from me actually look i was saying that i have never been a, a parish priest when i arrived in the diocese one of the priests uh, that probably you all know but I'm, I, I won't say his name asked me hey jp uh, let me ask you do you know how to give the anointing of the sick and i said yes of course i i do <laughs> i have i was I, I gave the anointing of the sick to somebody last week No, look, I'm asking you because uh, uh, one of the priests of Opus Dei who came to this diocese, I had to teach him how to do that. He had never done that before. (laughs) Anyway. um, Do Opus Dei priests, like, are some of them at a parish? 
uh, well, there are some parish priests, and so there are some Opus Dei priests who take care of a parish. It has never been my case. Uh, the nearest or the most similar thing I have been doing to a parish was running another university chaplaincy that I did in Kenya uh, for four years. Um, it was not quite a parish, but in many things it was very similar to a parish. Uh, but never a parish as such, unfortunately. Maybe one day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's awesome. great. Yeah. Um, I guess talking a bit about uh, obviously your vocation as a priest. I guess I kind of wanted to know um, the role of Jesus in your life, like how you came to have a relationship with Jesus. Was that something that, like, your family instilled in you, and like you kind of called to priesthood? How did that come about? Yeah, uh, look, you have mentioned my family. In fact, I think that that I owe everything to my family. I owe everything to my parents. The the, the founder of Opus Dei, Saint Jose Maria Escrivá, used to say that we owe ninety percent of our vocation to our parents. Mm. And that is, if I had not received the upbringing. Uh, that I received, if I had not received the faith from my parents, uh, I wouldn't be here. Actually, let me say one thing. I hope that nobody takes it um, the wrong way. I was very, I had very little involvement in, in the parish in my uh, where I grew up. And um, in fact, uh, I insist, don't don't take this bad. But many of the many of the people in my village who who used to go to the parish are lost. I'd say a lot. They lost the faith, not in the parish perhaps, but um, it was not a deep Christian formation they they were receiving there. Don't imagine that my parents were uh, giving us uh, like a parallel catechesis or anything. It, it was just seeing them pray. I I saw, especially my father, pray a lot, and my mom also prayed, but, uh, but she had a different kind of uh, spiritual life. She's also a very holy woman. My my dad passed away. My mom is still there, but I could see my dad taking time to pray. At times he would tell us, look, I I need some time for prayer now, so please don't make too much, too much noise. Or or he, uh, we would be in the car and he would stop close to a church and say, look, I'm, I'm going to, to, to pay a visit to Jesus here, just, just five minutes. If you want to come with me, you're welcome. Otherwise, just, just stay here in the car and wait for me. And so he was telling us with those the very normal actions uh, that he was a man of faith. So I owe him a lot. Uh, I owe him a lot. I, I also, one of my sisters, we are four in the family. Um, thank God. I thank God for the family I have. And my, all of them practice, all of them are great people. But my second sister, um, I am the third of the four. She's three years older than I. Well, she discovered her vocation to Opus Dei when she was a teenager. And, um, well, that came like a shock for me. Uh, wow, this is what she's doing, because she's also a numerary of Opus Dei. In Opus Dei, there are 
members who are celibate and uh, most of the people in Opus Dei are married and, and they are family people. But, um, well, we are all family people in a way. Uh, but I mean, uh, my sister uh, has, like myself, a celibate vocation in Opus Dei. And, um, and I remember that after a few months, one day, um, it just came unexpectedly. I remember exactly where I was and uh, what I was doing at the time, because I consider that was the, the moment and the day of my vocation my real vocation. Uh, I, re I, I can't remember exactly the day, but I remember it was in the month of July. And I uh, remember thinking, well, if my sister is doing this, why not me? Why not? And that question has always been there, why not? Many times for me in my life, why not? Um, I was too young to, young to join Opus Dei because I was only 15. But I approached someone of Opus Dei, I told him, look, this idea crossed my mind uh, that I should also join Opus Dei, even a, a, in a celibate vocation. Look, I have to admit that I didn't know completely and exactly what that would imply. But I remember thinking, well, that is not the point. Uh, I will discover what, what all this means. Uh, if God uh, is behind this, I will be there. If, uh, if not, I will not succeed anyway. Uh, so I will just let him drive. And I joined Opus Dei. Uh, eventually, when, um, when the time came, but of course they made me wait. But I start, from that day, I started having very clear, a very clear idea that I had to live a celibate life. I was in high school. I continued going to school and doing the same things. People saw that there was a sort of change in my behavior. I started going to mass every day. You know, it was a bit weird because, uh, going, going to mass and being the only teenager who was in church <laughs> uh, with all ladies and... Um, <laughs> Uh, they would they would start asking me also oh, you are going to become a priest at the time I, I had no idea that I would be eventually become a priest <laughs> yeah and so more or less that is how the story started then well I went to uni I studied don't laugh at what I'm going to say I studied English at uni <laughs> <laughs> but I graduated from uh, uh, a degree in English language without having ever gone to an English-speaking country. I had never been to England, had never been to Ireland, to, uh, to the US, ne never. Uh, because Spain in the 1980s was a very poor country, especially my family. We couldn't afford uh, traveling or anything. I never went on holidays anywhere with my, with my family. We, we were very, <laughs> we were a large uh, poor family. And, uh, but anyway, then uh, later on in life, I've traveled more than I expected, <laughs> much more than I expected. But I had never left Spain before my 22nd, 23rd birthday. Yeah. Wow. I'm talking too much. Maybe you want to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I think that's um, 
I think what strikes me kind of about your story is the impact that the family has and that idea of domestic church. Um, yeah, that's right. I know for me, like, I am Catholic. My husband's Catholic, but not practicing. Um, and, you know, even just thinking about, you know, one day, hopefully, you know, if the Lord blesses us with children and that kind of stuff, like what that'll look like and the importance <laughs> of the simple, like, Sometimes I get self-conscious about, you know, we're hanging out and I'm like, oh, I need to go pray and saying, hey, I'm just going to go to the room and, and go pray. But what those little kind of gestures can actually, how they can impact people um, mm -hmm. and impact their own faith life. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think yeah. it's it's beautiful. And I just wanted to kind of share yeah. with maybe some of our listeners that are maybe in the same situation or maybe living in a Catholic or in a flat that's with yeah. people that aren't practicing or whatnot to just um, just be okay mm. doing the normal things and yes. being open about it because you really have no idea what kind of impact that that has on the life of someone. Um, yeah, Luke, what kind I have of conversations spoken, start. I have spoken about my dad. Uh, I would never say that he was a bigot or anything of that kind. His faith was so down to earth. But seeing a, fa a man like my, like my dad, who was, I mean, a man with a strong character who would perhaps apply, at times lose it. And uh, he was very much the, the head of the family, but he had such a big heart. And uh, he would show that also in his faith. Like, I remember my dad, like preparing with so much affection, an image of our lady and putting it somewhere. Don't, 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 don't you imagine that the house was anything like a convent or anything? We didn't have many pictures of Mary or crucifixes everywhere, or uh, it was like any, any other house. But he would put this image of Our Lady there and, uh, and put a flowers from, from, from time to time close to it. Uh, wow. And those are the things that stuck with me, you know? Mm. Yeah, just yeah. the small things. It's pretty interesting, hey? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So you've mentioned, um, Father, a little bit about Opus Dei. Um, some people might be familiar with what Opus Dei is, um, but a lot of people might not. Um, can you share a little bit who, like, yeah. who started Opus Dei, who you guys are, um, what your charism <laughs> is? Yeah. Look, Opus Dei is uh, many countries around the world, but it started in Spain in 1928. Uh, um, the founder, Saint Jose Maria Escrivá, um, also, also he was a teenager when he saw that God wanted something from him. He didn't know what it was. And uh, he spent sort of like 10 years, 10 years asking God, I know you want something from me, but what is it? <laughs> and uh, on the 2nd of October of 1928, God made him understand what he wanted. What, what was it? What was that God wanted from him? So what God wanted from him was to dedicate his life to reminding ordinary Christians that they are also called to sanctity. That not only priests and religious men and women um, are called to sanctity, but uh, also a cook or a lecturer or a politician 
or a farmer are called to find God in the middle of their activities. You know, the difference between ordinary people, including people of Opus Dei, and uh, religious people uh, of religious orders or congregations in the church is that they are called to step out of the world to go somewhere, not, not only those who are um, in a convent or in a, in a monast monastery, but the religious order, orders in principle that is their charisma, to step outside of the world, um, to witness the, uh, the faith from outside the world. Now, ordinary Christians are called to stay in the world. That is why Maybe you have had that experience where that we people of Opus Dei, when when we uh, perceive that people still consider us religious uh, in that sense, uh, or that we are a congregation, or one, then we we feel uncomfortable because because it is contradicting what is actually our vocation. And my vocation is to remain in the world as much as you do. That is why I do even bring a priest. I, I don't know, I like watching movies. Not that I watch too many. I have, I think I have watched three during these, <laughs> three of them. I can recommend them because they were all very, very good movies. Um, uh, I like sports. I like cycling. I, so I'm, I'm not saying that religious people cannot do that, but uh, what I'm just trying to stress is that I live very much in the middle of the world. I follow, I follow the news. I anyway, and but more importantly, it is not only that kind of activities. More importantly, what I what I try to sanctify is my activity in the middle of the world. In my case, it is being a priest. All right. Um, by by the way, there are also religious priests and secular priests. I am a secular priest. I'm not a priest of a congregation. I'm a secular priest, like the diocesan priests. Only that my bishop, that is the bishop I report to, well, for my activities here in Hamilton, of course, is Bishop Stephen. But uh, I have my own, technically speaking, we call it my own ordinary, that is the, the, the prelate of Opus Dei. He is the one who, who sends me, in this case, to New Zealand or to another place. In any case, I'm not a religious priest. I am an, a secular priest. And people of Opus, they are secular. Secular, like you, like any of you. Like you, Jill, with so your is, husband. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what does that look like? Like how, what other roles kind of are there or um, I guess vocations within Opus yeah. Dei that yeah. Look, in Opus normal Day, people would have? Yeah, yeah. Look, in Opus Dei, there are celibate and married people. As I said, most of the people in Opus Dei are married, but some of us are celibate, like that sister of mine that I that I mentioned, also here in Hamilton, that is. You know, Opus Dei has also centers where the celibate people, most of the celibate people, most, I, I, I insist, of the celibate people live. Uh, so here in Hamilton, there is a center where men, celibate men of Opus Dei live, and there is another center where celebrate women of Opus Dei live. Um, uh, the, the center for the women is called Rimbrook. The center for the men is called uh, Greywood. That is where I am right now. 
And uh, well, for example, look, I live with two more people. This is the smallest center I have I have ever lived in because we are only three people. Uh, but the the center where I was before in in Sydney, there are there are eight people. And um, anyway, but they are I don't know. Here I live with one with with a doctor and a lawyer. So the actually the lawyer is working from home because he can do that, and the doctor cannot cannot go to to work because he's under lockdown, and we are doing our chores and all that. So uh, normally, are there there's people that live there at the centers as well? Yes, yes. Right? This is home. This is home to us. Yeah, this is my this is part of my family. Opus Dei is like a huge family that has. Um, uh, not cousins, but brothers and sisters in, in, other, in other homes. No, it's like we have the the farmhouse, the house in the city, the house in another country, and we are all one family. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, besides that, of course, there are also the the, the married people in Opus Dei who live in their families. Um, look. You may think that being celibate in Opus Dei is like more demanding because you renounce having a wife, uh, in my case, and your kids, which, by the way, I, I love uh, a family, probably because I grew up in a wonderful family. I love my siblings. They are all back in Spain, also under lockdown. Uh, and so you may think that celibacy is... Uh, like a huge sacrifice. But look, on the one hand, I think that the, the people who are really, really so holy in Opus Dei are those who are married because uh, what they have to sanctify besides their profession or whatever they do, if they go to the office, if they go to, to do any other kind of activity, they have to sanctify that, that they have to find God there. But then when they go back home, they also have to sanctify their family life. They have to take care of their kids and they have to become saints by being patient, by being good parents, by being a good wife or a good husband. Uh, and it, this is so demanding. For myself, I think this is very selfish, of course, and I say it a bit joke, jokingly. Okay, look, when I come home, uh, and uh, it is time to rest. I I will have no noise to wake me up in the middle of the night. I can go to bed when I decide to go to bed because it is the right time. I don't need to put any kids to bed. I don't need to cook for a huge uh, number of people. Uh, so, uh, but celibacy is not about selfishness. It's not about uh, avoiding all those duties. Eh? Because celibacy is a gift. Uh, our Lord asks for one sacrifice, but he gives us a hundred times more. That is what he promises in the gospel. He promises to those who will live fathers and mothers and, and uh, children and property. He promises a hundred times more in this life and then eternal life. And it is true. God gives us um, so much. Uh, He's never outdone in generosity. God is never beaten in generosity. That's right. Yeah. And, and then 
we have a family, we actually have a family. As I said, Opus Dei is our family, and besides that, uh, so many people, so many people reach out to a priest. Like these days of the lockdown, I have the opportunity to, to reconnect with other people in Australia, or even a friend called me from Italy, from Rome, mm. uh, a couple of days ago, and we spent uh, 15 minutes on the phone. I had not spoken with him for three years, and it was such a surprise. It was beautiful. And you feel, wow, so many people who... You know, one thing that has happened when I, when I came here, uh, to to Hamilton, you know, I had been in Facebook with a fake name. I will not tell you what was my fake name <laughs> because I I wanted to have a Facebook account, but I didn't want to. You know, well, I, I'm going to tell you who I was in Facebook. I was Gregory Peck. <laughs> that was my <laughs> wow. that was my fake name. You're one but of now... those spammers on Facebook. <laughs> But then um, I had to, be in the, being the chaplain of the university, I had to, to be Juan Pedro Maldonado. So people discovered me. And now since, since I joined Facebook with my real name and with a picture there, oh my goodness, from Kenya, from Italy, from Spain, from Australia, so many friends request that sincerely I accept and I confirm because it is reconnecting with so many. And I'm so grateful to see, wow, uh, with just 18 years of priesthood, uh, with the grace of God, I have touched so many souls, so many stories, so many names, so... So a, a priest is never lonely. Uh, you, you may think celibacy is loneliness. Well, um, if there is a priest in the world who lives lonely, I'm sorry for him. And I would encourage him to, to live his priesthood uh, the way that he was called to, to live it. Being Christ uh, for everyone. It's beautiful. It's great. It's great to be a priest. Yeah, it's something like it's such a beautiful gift that like you're able to give. And I think a lot of times people think that celibacy, you know, the church demands celibacy from its priests, but really it's something that um, priests decide and discern to live a celibate life. Um, they yeah. agree to it before they start. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not something that is right. taken from them. Um, yeah. And that, yeah. you know, not everybody is is called to get married either you know like we That's live right. in a society where where it's there's so much um pressure to to find somebody or you know to have that relationship and that's the norm but uh really not everybody is called to that yeah that's right and in fact many people um, who have that kind of relationship a human relationship uh don't know very well how to handle it um, and they suffer a lot through that relationship because perhaps they enter that relationship not seeking the other person but seeking themselves. Uh, this is not out of generosity but out of selfishness. And uh, they end up um, suffering, making other people suffer. Any relationship, uh, including um, celibacy, is to give. It's true. It's true that celibacy is an act of self-giving. 
but so is marriage. And uh, even a person, a person who this who who says, well, this is my life. I want to live it for myself. Finds constant frustration because a human being is a gift, but it's a gift not to himself. He's a gift to others. And a gift that is not delivered it only brings frustration. I remember I was talking about my brother. Well, I have to spoken about my, my, my family. My youngest brother, eh, youngest, but he's now over 50 as well. Eh, I remember once when he was a little kid, eh, he went to a birthday party. And he went uh, with a present for, the, for his friend. And he went to the pre with the present and he came back home with the present. He didn't deliver the present. <laughs> so, <laughs> because he liked what he had taken wow. as a present. <laughs> and uh, I have remembered that story many times because that is what happens to the human being who doesn't give himself to someone else. Call it marriage, call it like the case of a celibate person in the church, whether it is in priesthood, in a, in a religious life. It is a, an undelivered gift is a disappointment. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that is what I'm trying to do. I like what, what I encourage everyone to do, to, to give, to give what you can, what you have. But to give yourself, not to give what you have, but give yourself. That is the, you are the gift. Know what that's you have. It. Yeah, that's the greater You gift. are the gift. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I really like the whole idea of that. Um, I okay. guess something I kind of want to know further is what are you going to be doing this, this week for Holy Week? I know um, me and the net team, mm -hmm. I think we're going to watch The Passion of Christ and we might tune into some, some mm. bishops. Um, yes. Like, like I'm missing a lot. I'm missing a lot the the way in which the Holy Week is lived in Spain. Um, mm. I have been out of Spain uh, since 1991, only visiting, and since 91, only once in 2005, I had the opportunity to to spend. Uh, it was only just you know, Palm Sunday in Spain. In southern Spain, there are processions. The, uh, in every town and city, images of uh, of Jesus carrying the cross, or images of, of of Christ on the cross, images of Our Lady of Sorrows, are taken out to the streets, and uh, thousands and thousands of people actually put together the whole Andalu of, of Andalusia, that is the south of Spain, is in the streets following these processions, and then also the. Um, the Holy Week services are attended by crowds. Uh, they are very solemn, very beautiful. So I miss all that. Um, but here at home, of course, we will be celebrating the Holy Week as well. Uh, tomorrow, Holy Thursday, I will celebrate uh, the Mass of uh, the Supper of the Lord at 5.30. I will be streaming it um, uh, for those who want to follow it uh, through Zoom. Uh, but by the way, I know also Bishop Steve will will uh, stream his own mass uh, at seven. 
Actually, I wanted to tell you, I will continue with the Holy Week, but just, just to mention a beautiful letter that Bishop Steve um, sent to us priests yesterday in the evening because uh, the tradition in this diocese was to celebrate the Mass, the, the Chrism Mass, that is the Mass concelebrated by all the priests in the diocese, in the cathedral with their bishop. It was supposed to take place yesterday. And he was also so... Uh, missing it so much that he decided to write to us at that time, inviting us to renew our commitment as priests, as it is done during that Mass this year, it couldn't be done. Hopefully we will do it at, um, later at, in the year. Yeah, and then on Good Friday I will also celebrate, but that will be privately. I will celebrate the, the, serv the Good Friday service, and then Easter Sunday. I initially I thought of celebrating also the Easter um, uh, vigil, but the conditions are not uh, good enough to do so. Yes, I will celebrate Easter Sunday. Yeah, but in any case, I think these are days that more than uh, the uh, besides beyond the, the liturgy, we can celebrate in our own personal prayer these are these are days to meditate on the passion uh, that I, that is what i would invite you to do as well yeah yeah so every at the end of every episode we kind of give people a practical um thing to do this week so maybe it's um over the triduum um mm -hmm. something to yeah practical to pray with or take to prayer in their own spiritual lives what would you suggest, Father? Mm, look, two things are crossing my mind today. Late, later today, I will do the Way of the Cross with uh, through Zoom with with some of the um, White God people. We were planning initially. I mean, you would expect this to be done on, on Good Friday, but uh, but we decided to do it <clears throat> to do it on Wednesday because maybe, maybe Friday people will be busy with other things or with or, or repeating the Way of the Cross elsewhere. Um, but you know something something came to mind when you were uh, when you were asking that i've spoken about my dad uh, today and i have a, a a memory of my childhood probably i i was 11 or 12 the first time ever i can remember leaving home in the middle of the night probably at 2 a.m or 3 a.m it was during the holy week and we went uh, to church it was the night between Holy Thursday and Good Friday because there was overnight vigil in, in the parish. It is a beautiful church, by the way, that we have in that small town. It is a small town of 4,000 inhabitants. I'm not sure if they still have these overnight vigils in, in Spain in that night. Um, but um, this was in the 1970s when uh, what I'm talking about so we arrived in the church and uh, I asked my dad, um, what do I do now? Because the, the church was quite dark. There was the altar of repose with the Blessed Sacrament, a few people in church. It was, uh, it was a very quiet environment, very conducive for prayer. So I remember asking him, what do I do now? And he just gave me a copy of the Gospels. 
And he told me, look, you can do what you like, but you can read uh, The Passion of Christ. We spent there one hour, and the hour just flew. It, uh, before I realized, he was tapping on my shoulder and saying, we, we can go back home now. I would have stayed there. Uh, probably that was the first time I was reading the Gospels um, by myself. Um, rather than hearing the Gospels read at Mass. So that, that is what I would recommend you to do, especially during these days, not only in the Holy Week, but lockdown time is very good for to, to find silence and recollection for your own meditation. And the Gospels is the first book that we have to meditate about. There are also many other books that you can find useful for, for meditation. Of course. Yes. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks, Father. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Father. All right. Okay. Next okay. time I see you, it'll be Easter. Yes, it will be the Easter. The have risen. And who knows, it might be face-to-face. -face, we'll be in a time of celebration. Nah, hope, hopefully. Hopefully we, <laughs> we will be able to see each other without uh, a screen in between. Yeah. All yeah, right. yeah that'd be great. God bless. Awesome. Thank you. God and happy, cool. happy Easter to everyone. All right. Thank you, Father. Okay. God bless. Okay. Bye.